Hey all, thank you for tuning into Women Birders Happy Hour. My name is Hannah. I'm a birder, a woman, and someone that enjoys a good drink after a long day of birding. Women have been integral to birding since it started, but we haven't always been recognized for the contributions and impact we have. Men have dominated the guiding scene, festival circuit, leadership positions, and publications. And according to a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service 2011 report, in the U.S., there were over 47 million birders. The majority of these birders are college-educated, they are white, they are women, and mostly are over the age of 55. And if you put all these factors together, we create the typical birder, a white, college-educated woman over the age of 55. And that's a demographic that I often see out birding, but I don't as frequently see as a speaker, a guide, or a sole publisher. Additionally, the voices of all women, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus birders are not well represented in the birding voices we hear from. So I created this show to bring in more voices. Not to say that some of the regular festival keynotes aren't great, but there is room for others. And on the show, I'm asking everyday women from all walks of life to join me to discuss their experiences, their resources, and advice that they have for others. And I want you to remember that just because you may not have experienced some of these things, like sexism or gatekeeping, doesn't mean that they aren't real issues that others face. And because some of these conversations are best had over a cocktail or a mocktail, I also create a unique cocktail for each guest in case you want to mix yourself a drink and join us for this chat. Christina is a bird researcher and conservationist for BirdLife South Africa. She's also a relatively new birder who got started due to a friendly competition amongst colleagues, which it can be a great driver for many birders. I met her on the recent Flock to Marion cruise put on by BirdLife South Africa and MSC Cruises, which if you want to hear more about that, please listen into our upcoming episodes of Hannah and Eric Go Birding, where we talk all about it. So African penguins are also called black-footed penguins and jackass penguins, and they can be found on the southwestern coast of Africa in colonies on 24 different islands along Namibia and South Africa. They can grow up to two feet tall and weigh about seven pounds. And I feel like they're your classic penguin with a black face and white and black markings on their body, which is used for countershading. The undersides of them are white, which makes them difficult to spot by predators in the water like sharks, whereas the, their black backs help them blend in with the water from above. They do have pink glands around their eyes that help them thermoregulate. Blood is sent to these glands to be cooled off by the air, which seems kind of weird because, you know, they're penguins. And penguins typically live in cold places, but these penguins live in Africa and it can get quite hot where they live. They're a pursuit diver and feed primarily on fish and squid. Uh, they go out to the open sea to forage, and their preferred food uh, prey species are sardines and anchovies. And they normally swim about 10 miles offshore. And unfortunately, due to a number of pressures and threats, they are now classified as endangered and are rapidly in decline. And this includes the decline of sardines and waters near their habitat, which has caused a shift in their diet to more of anchovy heavy. And anchovy have lower levels of fat and proteins. And this can cause fewer chicks to get the nutrients they need to become adults. Um, other pressures include oil spills, and historically they were exploited for eggs, as well as mining of guano in their colonies uh, for fertilizer, which they use for burrowing. So that has really um, 
wreaked havoc on their population as well. So they're a monogamous species and have high site fidelity, which means they return to the same site each year. And they lay their eggs in either burrows or scrapes in the ground uh, under boulders or bushes. And both adults will help raise the young. Like all birds, penguins molt. However, they cannot forge sea as their new feathers are coming in because they're not waterproof. So they actually fast during the entire molting process, which ends up being about three weeks, and they lose half their body weight in the process. So uh, here is your African penguin. It's a pretty large scoop of vanilla ice cream, one and a half ounces of whatever milk product you'd like to use. I used almond milk, but you could always use half and half or cream or regular milk, whatever. Um, a shot of Amarula cream liqueur, a Hershey's chocolate sauce or any kind of chocolate sauce that you like, and a splash of strawberry syrup. The one I used is Monin. So how you make it, um, you prepare the glass by drizzling chocolate sauce around the inside of it. And then you fill up your blender with vanilla ice cream, that milk product and Amarula. Uh, then you blend it and pour it into the prepared glass and top it off with a splash of that strawberry syrup. And this is based on a popular South African dessert cocktail that's either called a Don Pedro or a Dom Pedro, depending on where you look, um, but they're both the same thing. And it was created in the 1970s. Legend has it that it was created by a local chef who had traveled to Scotland where a distiller poured whiskey over his ice cream while he was there. And when he arrived back home, he used Amarilla, which is a cream liqueur from South Africa made from sugar, cream, and the fruit of the African Marilla tree. It's also called the elephant tree or the marriage tree. It's slightly caramely and fruity with the strawberry and it the strawberry represents the glands on the penguin's face that helped it to thermoregulate. This cocktail is refreshing for a day on the water watching the penguins swim about in the ocean. So enjoy a drink with me and learn more about Christina. Okay, well, Christina Hagen, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Would you please tell me who you are? Thanks, thanks for having me. And so, yeah, I'm Christina. I work for BirdLife South Africa. I work on the African penguin primarily. And I've been birding kind of for the last three years. Okay, so um, are, are you from South Africa? No, I have quite a, a complicated origin story, I guess. <laughs> um, my, my father was a ge is a geologist, and he... Uh, got transferred around quite a lot. So I was born in Brazil and then we lived in Johannesburg in South Africa for a few years and then moved to Venezuela and then to Canada. Oh wow. And then finally back to Cape Town when I was 16 years old. And okay. I've been here ever since. So what kind of schooling did you have to do to become a African penguin researcher? So I did a BSc in zoology and botany at the University of Cape Town. And then I moved on to do a master's in conservation biology at the Fitzpatrick Institute of African Ornithology, which is also at UCT. Um, yeah, and that's, I, I kind of always knew that I wanted to be in conservation. And so when I heard about the conservation biology master's program, I knew that was where I needed to be. So you said you'd only been birding for a little while, hmm. but you've been working for bird life for longer. So yes. what made you start birding initially? Um, so I've always been interested in birds and well, all biodiversity, nature, whatever. Um, but I've never really, before I kind of 
properly started birding, I I wasn't into like IDing the the really difficult ones. Like I knew the common birds, and I would be happy watching birds in the garden and stuff. Um, but then I don't know. I guess it was a combination of a few things. Um, at in BirdLife South Africa, we started a staff birding challenge, and my competitive side came out, <laughs> and I wanted to not necessarily compete with some of the others who are really good birders in the organization but compete with myself and try and see more species every year and then also um i had a colleague and friend who's a very patient teacher <laughs> and he helped um kind of get me into it a lot and uh, just kind of fueled my enthusiasm which was there but just needed a bit of a, a push <laughs> so what kind of work do you do with penguins um so i've done a few things over the years. Uh, it's, I've been at BirdLife for 11 years now. Um, what I'm working on currently is trying to start a, or kind of re-establish an African penguin breeding colony oh, wow. in a nature reserve called Duhuop. It's about 250 kilometers east of Cape Town. Um, and penguins tried to breed there naturally in the mid 2000s. Um, and unfortunately, uh, predation by um, probably a, le- a caracal, which is a kind of medium-sized cat, sort of a, they also call it a lynx, um, oh, okay. or in Afrikaans it's a roy cat, it's this reddish sort of um, medium-sized cat predator, and then also leopards are around, and penguins are obviously very vulnerable, not being able to fly. Um, so when they breed on the mainland, they, they can get taken out very easily. Um, so this this small little colony started naturally, and then the the predators kind of realized it was there, and uh, the penguins abandoned it. So I'm trying to reestablish it. Um, I put up a predator-proof fence, and we're trying to get the penguins to come back. Oh wow! Yeah, that's that's fascinating mm-hmm. work. So um, what do you do to try to attract the penguins to coming there? Yeah. So we. Uh, our main, we have two kind of uh, approaches to this. We're trying what we call social attraction first, um, which is uh, sort of taking advantage of penguins' colonial breeding behavior, so making it look and sound like there is a breeding colony there already. So I've got these really cool penguin decoys out that are super lifelike, and um, we actually managed, we took them to an existing colony and ma- managed to fool tourists and penguins um, and then we also have penguin calls that we're broadcasting on this big speaker so that it kind of looks and sound like sounds like there's a, a penguin colony there um, and that was up for sort of two years um, the predator proof fence went up at the end of 2018 mm-hmm. um, and then we put out the decoys and, and played the calls and um, we didn't have any any penguins coming ashore we did have one juvenile come ashore to molt um, but it's hard to say with only one whether you know that bird was attracted by um, by our efforts. And now we've moved on to the second phase, which is releasing juveniles, uh, penguins at the site. Okay. So we're working with an organisation called Sankob, um, and then Cape Nature, which is the provincial nature conservation body, uh, and they they manage the reserve that we're working in. Um, and Sankob uh, is a seabird rehabilitation center. They um, receive all these abandoned chicks every year, mm-hmm. and they raise them, hand rear them, and then release them back into the wild. 
And so instead of releasing them at existing colonies as they have been doing, we're diverting some of them to be released at my colony site. And the hope is that, so penguins um, generally return to where they were hatched. Mm -hmm. um, so the hope is that by releasing them at this new site, they kind of imprint there and then when they're ready to breed, they'll return. But it is a very long-term project because <laughs> penguins only uh, breed when they're about between three and six years old. Oh, wow. So okay. these birds that we're releasing are only 100 days old. So they need to go out to sea and mature and figure out how to hunt and all the stuff that penguins do. Um, and then hopefully they'll come back when they're ready. Well, I can't wait to see how successful that project is. That's, Thank you. That's awesome. Mm. So switching a little bit more birding. Mm. Um, so what does a day of birding look like for you? Um, well, one of my favorite spots is um, a place called Rondeflay in Cape Town. Um, Rondeflay means round uh, lake kind of in Afrikaans. And so it's a, a wetland area with water and um, lots of this hides and lots of pods to walk, walk, pods to walk around um, and it's quite close to my house so I just kind of pop around there quite often and you can get quite a good diversity of water birds as well as uh, fanebos birds. Fanebos is the kind of indigenous vegetation to the, the Western Cape area of, Cape, of South Africa and you can get like a whole diversity of species there. Um, and then another favorite spot is um, Kirstenbosch Botanical Gardens and that it's just a beautiful place because it's right underneath Table Mountain and there's all sorts of these fanebos endemics as well as you know other um, kind of non-specific non birds so it's it's a great place to go and I often like, go there in the mornings and then go to Rondeflay and yeah yeah so just kind of birding some of the different mm. nature reserves in your city yeah okay yeah. Cape Town's great because there's lots of places kind of quite close by, um, so it's easy to go out just if you have a couple of hours, even. Well, with the backdrop of uh, of Table Mountain, mm. I think that's got to be fantastic. We just saw it from the cruise ship, and it was just it's absolutely gorgeous. It is. It's a beautiful city to live in. <laughs> um, so what? You said you have somebody that has helped you get more accustomed to birding and uh, get into a little bit more, but what do you think has influenced your birding the most? I think maybe it's the kind of community of South African birders, but also just the staff at, at BirdLife. I said we had this challenge um, that, that kind of just kind of spurred me on to, to go out and bird. and. Also, I started joining all these Facebook groups and uh, WhatsApp groups and things, and that also just kind of fueled the the passion. Um, especially during COVID, when everything was locked down, that was a, a nice way to still connect and see what other people were doing, and um, yeah, encouraged me to just keep going out. Um, and and for anybody who's not familiar with it, that's listening, uh, the South African birding community is just like <laughs> as an outsider looking in, it's just. It's absolutely amazing. Like I, I joined a lot of those Facebook groups, mm. uh, the South Africa listers and all that, and just like the amount of stuff that goes on and how um, like supportive everybody mm. is is just absolutely incredible. And there's very few other groups that I'm on that are like that. Yeah, it's it's incredible. If someone needs an ID, they post a photo and they have you know all these people chiming in and helping them. 
if they want you know to be guided what the bird is or if they just want to be told it's it's great that's so cool well i'm glad you have that that is definitely a good way to get mm. you know new people in and and feel more comfortable with it mm. so um what advice do you have for other women researchers or birders i think it's about finding your passion and whether it's um something you're passionate about researching or just passion for birding and not and kind of keeping that in the forefront and not letting yourself get discouraged by um so in south africa it is quite a birding is quite a male dominated field still and i'm sure in the rest of the world as well um not to be discouraged by that to know that there are other women out there um who who are just as passionate as you are and um we might not be as uh, loud and obvious about it as some of the, the male birders can be, but just know that we are out there and just keep keep finding your passion and and um, find find your community of um, other female birders. That is actually also one thing I forgot to mention is um, I'm also a volunteer wildfire fighter. Oh wow! And um, through that I've met some other women who are also in nature conservation and are also birders and um, and we've so there's a every year South Africa BirdLife South Africa hosts a birding big day mm -hmm. and so we formed this uh, team of women uh, f female birders and we we go out and do our birding big day together so that's also helped is to find some other other women who are interested and we we don't get you know, um, we don't compete in the provincial challenges or whatever, but we still have a fun day out. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great to find, find a little group of people who can, can help you and who can just go birding with you and be out in nature. That's great advice. So do you feel that you've found your place in the birding community? Um, I think I'm still figuring it out a little bit um, but I I also joined um, a bird club local bird club um, and that it's been a bit tricky because of COVID and it's sure. um, cut down on the, the outings that can happen um, so I still like I feel technologically virtually connected but still need to build the, the kind of physical in-person connections uh, yeah I think in, in the U.S. at least, during COVID, a lot of people did pick up birding, mm. and it was pretty much online. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think now that we're able to meet up a little bit more, it's, uh, it's you know, people are figuring out whether they actually want to be like a birder or mm. <laughs> whether, you know, they, they prefer the online thing. But created such a good venue, mm. you know, for, for Facebook and Zoom and all that to be able to connect with one another and, you know got a few more birders out of it, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what has been the most valuable thing you've learned from birding? Um, I think <laughs> patience and attention to detail sometimes. Because <laughs> um, when I first started tr properly trying to ID birds, I would often like look with binoculars and then immediately look away to my field guide or my app or whatever and not take the time to really focus in on the bird mm -hmm. and just be like, ah, oh, it 
you know, it looks like this and I try and, you know, look for a feature that stood out to me, but then you find, oh, most of the species have that feature, so that's not a, <laughs> you know, something you can uh, I positively ID it with. So just properly taking the time to observe and be patient <laughs> and, and pick out those details. That's a, that's a great thing to learn. <laughs> um, so I guess people say this is my hardest question. What has been your most memorable bird or birding experience? Oh, that is a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> memorable bird or birding experience? Um, well, I have to say maybe yesterday on this uh, flock to Marion cruise was amazing. Um, yeah, it was there were just so many albatrosses flying around, wandering albatrosses, sooty albatrosses, um, and also all the smaller storm petrels and diving petrels coming through every now and then. And for me, a big highlight was the uh, the penguins, the macaroni and king penguins that I got to see. Um, I think that now brings my total number of penguin species to seven. Oh, wow. So um, that was super exciting for me. Um, yeah, yesterday was just, just amazing. So that ranks pretty high up there. <laughs> but yeah, that was a pretty incredible day. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing about all of your experiences and everything. Um, if folks want to learn more about you and the cool things that you do, how would they do that? Um, they can go to the BirdLife South Africa webpage. It's um, birdlife.org.za. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but I don't post that much birdie stuff there because I don't have a camera. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't post like bird pictures really. Um, yeah, the, the BirdLife South Africa website is probably the best thing. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You know what? No problem. Christina, it was such a joy to meet you in person and learn about all the experiences that you've had in birding and conserving penguins in South Africa. Um, it's an amazing country. If anyone ever gets out to South Africa, it's there's so much to see and do out there. I miss the penguins, but hopefully uh, I get a chance to go back and see those African penguins there. And thank you all for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something. You can rate and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to me. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on my socials, which are Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirders, HH, or you can email me at WomenBirders at gmail.com. I also have resources and information on GoBirdingPodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this chat, and I look forward to seeing you in the next happy hour.